There's a myth that belt tightening and fiscal surpluses are the best response to economic crisis. If a government is serious about the economy or wants to show real statemanship, they must be prepared to make sacrifices. But where does this relief come from and should we buy into it? In the aftermath of the 2022-2023 budget, we have heard the narrative of restraint and caution on a near-continuous loop. Calls not to max out the national credit card and claims that we're on the highway to hell if we keep racking up deficits are silly at best and fear-mongering at worst. Debt has been painted as the bad guy and the government, like many before it, has fallen into the debt panic trap. Welcome to the latest episode of Ready, Set, Debt. I'm Ulrika Lobo, Director of Sparrow Loans, a private property lender in Australia. Before we get into this year's budget, it is important to understand a little more about the modern financial system. From the late 19th century to the late 20th century, the world relied on the gold standard. This meant that every dollar deposited in a bank was backed up by the equivalent amount of gold. Your money was not just theoretical. However, after 1971, the world pivoted to fiat currency, which meant that money was no longer backed by commodities, but by the promises of governments and financial institutions. Say you get paid $2,000 by your employer and the money is deposited into your account. The bank does not hold the notes, which make up your $2,000, in a big vault. Nothing physical happens. The amount that you see in your account or on your bank statement is money that the bank promises to pay out to you when you want it. The same principle applies for a loan. The bank gives you money that you promise to pay back. That money doesn't come from a vault stacked with cash. It isn't physical and it isn't backed by anything. So in a way, all stored money is debt. For households, you're constrained by what you earn. You cannot make money come out of thin air. Households do not have the ability to make deals with other parties which involve the creation of money. Governments do have this power. For a government that borrows in its own currency, including Australia, it can never go bust. Realistically, the government will always be able to service debt denominated in Australian dollars. The RBA can simply add more zeros to the Commonwealth Government account, at will, but that doesn't sound legitimate, right? Well, it's exactly what the US Federal Reserve did to bail out the banks in the GFC. The Federal Reserve Chairman himself said, To lend to a bank, we simply use the computer to mark up the size of the account they have with the Fed. It's more like printing money than borrowing, really. So clearly, there is a historical precedent for what we might call money printing. But won't that just make inflation worse? And what about our future generations who have to pay off the debt? Well, let's look to the government's most recent budget to explore that a little further. Treasurer Jim Chalmers and Finance Minister Katie Gallagher have delivered a budget which banks most of the $53 billion in windfall gains from high commodity prices and low unemployment while funding much of its new spending by hacking into coalition promises. It funds Labour's election promises while offering a pared-down agenda of projects. It aims to battle inflation with fiscal responsibility. Yet it also follows the logic that productivity-boosting investments allow for greater deficit spending. In an attempt to reinvigorate the economy and ensure the supply of goods and services catches up with demand, Chalmers is making a big investment in productivity. By strengthening the economy's weak sectors to boost productivity, the natural output of the economy will be more in line with the elevated level it is currently operating at. 
In 2022, the government is focused on skill shortages, low migration and women's participation in the workforce. The government has formally budgeted its election promise to increase childcare subsidies for families earning less than $530,000 a year. This policy comes at an ongoing cost of $1.7 billion annually, but it delivers a robust and immediate return on investment. Additional childcare subsidies will allow more stay-at-home parents to return to the workforce, resulting in the equivalent of 37,000 full-time workers being available. This helps reinforce Australia's supply-side capabilities and is an important investment. The higher childcare subsidies exist alongside a commitment to increase paid parental leave to 26 weeks by July 2026 at an ongoing cost of $620 million a year. The government also plans to spend roughly $2 million on supporting education and compliance of anti-harassment measures to make women feel safer in workplaces. This will inevitably increase Australia's productive capacity as we reduce the burden that a large share of female professionals have in the workplace day after day and also after they have children. Bringing women back into the workforce is paired with increasing the migration cap to 195,000, costing nearly 1 billion, to provide a stable and sizable workforce capable of meeting Australia's growing demand. These measures are expensive and no doubt increase our fiscal deficit. But it is more than okay because of the economic dividend they provide. When the government invests in policies or public works, they yield a return far greater than their cost. So the debt we rack up and the corresponding cost of interest payments is okay considering the economic growth it will cause. Where this debt is serviceable and does not overinflate the money supply, the cost of living problem is not made too much worse. This raises the question, why is debt seen as natural in the corporate and consumer sector, but not in the public sector? BHP had debt equal to $76 billion in 2019, and household debt is at 188% of income on average. There is a strange cognitive dissonance to debt that prevents governments from expanding their service provisions and investing in productive areas of the economy, Another structural reform is addressing skills shortages. The government has budgeted $922 million over five years from this financial year onwards to support vocational education. Much of this funding goes towards providing 480,000 free TAFE places, with 180,000 becoming available next year alone. This is the centrepiece of the government's plan to eliminate skill shortages that drain energy from our economy. With more skilled labour, it is the government's hope that production increases. Bringing the discussion back to inflation control, boosting our nation's ability to provide goods and services, prevents large output gaps which prevents prices rising. Even when demand surges or pressure mounts, the economy will have the foundations and structures to cope with it and deliver. Labour has paid for many of its election promises by hacking into coalition programs and spending promised in the March budget but which hasn't gone ahead yet. It plans to spend only $9.8 billion of the $52.5 billion in windfall gains from high commodity prices and a stronger-than-expected economy. The national wallet has also been aided by the soaring cost of living and low unemployment, which raised tax revenue through both PAYG tax and GST. This has halved our forecast deficit with the government now expecting $36.9 billion instead of the coalition's $78 billion. This responsible debt approach 
is in the context of gross debt peaking at $1.17 trillion in 2025 to 2026. There's a large debt burden ahead and it's important that we don't ignore inflation. Excessive debt will bloat the money supply and could make the problem of inflation much worse. But the 2022-23 budget seems to accept higher cost of living as normal while failing to address some of its most insidious causes. Most notably, that there is no attempt to curb business profiteering in the current cost of living crunch. Modelling by the Australia Institute suggests that profit growth accounted for a stunning 60% of economy-wide price increases. Why do we simply accept that big business profits are at record highs of almost $80 billion for the first half of 2022 financial year alone? The oil and gas giants Shell, Chevron and BP have all reported record profits at a time when some Australians are struggling to pay their electricity bills. The Treasury predicts energy prices will rise by 20% by Christmas and 30% in the next financial year. We should not accept that price gouging is standard business procedure. Competition policy which limits the extent of inflated margins could make everyday costs more manageable and help tame inflation. Another solution would be to extract more tax from gas companies who pay peanuts and are largely behind the increase in energy costs. We are the largest exporter of gas in the world, yet receive almost nothing for it. The reluctance to offend oil and gas companies, as well as bigger businesses, comes at the detriment of the community and the economy. Any anger percolating around the budget for what it fails to do is completely warranted. But that shouldn't overshadow the good things it sets out to achieve. So while the government is pursuing abundance and austerity with great skill, there is still more to be desired. That's all for today, folks. I hope you have a lovely weekend ahead and thank you for listening to our latest episode on Ready, Set, Debt.